Chapter 47 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P.T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum, Chapter 47, Waldemere. What I can call, without undue display of egotism or vanity, my public life may be said to have closed with my formal and final retirement from the managerial profession when my second museum was destroyed by fire, March 3, 1868. But he must have been a careless reader of these pages, which record the acts and aspirations of a long and industrious career, who does not see that what, in opposition to my public life, may be considered my private life, has also been largely devoted to the comfort, convenience, and permanent prosperity of the community with which so many of my hopes and happiest days are thoroughly identified. I speak of these things, I trust, with becoming modesty, and yet with less reluctance than I should do if my fellow citizens of Bridgeport had not generally and generously awarded me sometimes, perhaps, more than my need of praise for my unremitting and earnest efforts to promote whatever would conduce to the growth and improvement of our charming city. When I first selected Bridgeport as a permanent residence for my family, its nearness to New York and the facilities for daily transit to and from the metropolis were present and partial consideration only in the general advantages the location seemed to offer nowhere in all my travels in america and abroad had i seen a city whose very position presented so many and varied attractions situated on long island sound with that vast waterview in front and on every other side a beautiful and fertile country with every variety of inland scenery and charming drives which led through valleys rich with well-cultivated farms and over hills thick-wooded with far-stretching forests of primeval growth all these natural attractions appeared to me only so many aids to the advancement the beautiful and busy city might attain if public spirit, enterprise, and money grasped and improved the opportunities the locality itself extended. I saw that what nature had so freely lavished must be supplemented by yet more liberal art. Consequently, and quite naturally, when I projected and established my first residence in Bridgeport, I was exceedingly desirous that all the surroundings of Iranistan should accord with the beauty and completeness of that place. I was never a victim to that mania which possesses many men of even moderate means to own everything that joins them, and I knew that Iranistan would so increase the value of surrounding property that none but first-class residences would be possible in the vicinity. But there was other work to do, which while affording advantageous approaches to my property would at the same time be a lasting benefit to the public and so i opened iranistan avenue and other broad and beautiful streets through land which i freely purchased and as freely gave to the public and these highways are now the most convenient as well as charming in the city to have opened all these new avenues in their entire length at my own cost and through my own ground, would have required a confirmation of Miss Lavinia Warren's opinion 
that what little of the city of Bridgeport and the adjacent town of Fairfield was not owned by General Tom Thumb belonged to P.T. Barnum. It is true that apart from my East Bridgeport property, I became a very large owner of real estate on the other side of the river, in Bridgeport proper and in Fairfield, my purchases in Fairfield lying on and so near to the boundary line, Division Street, as virtually to be in Bridgeport. Everywhere through my own lands I laid out and threw open to the public streets of generous width which distinguished the old King's Roads in the colonies before grasping farmers and others encroached upon and fenced in as private property, land that really belonged to the public forever, and on both sides of every avenue I laid out and planted a profusion of elms and other trees. In this way I have opened miles of new streets and have planted thousands of shade trees in Bridgeport, for I think there is much wisdom in the advice of the Laird of Dumby Dykes in Scott's Heart of Midlothians, who sensibly says, When ye hae nothing else to do, ye may be a sticking in a tree. It will be growing when you're sleeping. But in establishing new streets, too often when I had gone through my own land, the project came literally to an end. Some old fogey blocked the way. My way, his own way, and the highway, and all I could do would be to jump over his field and continue my new street through land I might own on the other side till I reached the desired terminus in the end or continuation of some other street or till unhappily I came to a dead standstill at the ground of some other old fogey who, like the original owners of what is now the shorefront of Seaside Park, did not believe there was money to be made by giving away their property. And this is the manner in which these old fogies talked. We don't believe in these improvements of Barnum's. What's the use of them? We can get to the city by the old road or street, as we have done for forty years. The new street will cut the pasture or mowing lot in two and make a checkerboard of the farm. It was bad enough to have the railroad go through, and we would have prevented that if we could, but this new street business is all bosh. And then, singularly enough, every old fogey would wind up with, I declare, I believe the whole thing is only to benefit Barnum so that he can sell land, which he bought anywhere from 60 to $200 an acre, at the rate of $5,000 an acre in building lots, as he is actually doing today. It is strange indeed that these men who could see the benefit to Barnum's property by opening new streets which would immediately convert cheap farm and pasture land into choice and high-priced building lots should not see that precisely the same thing would proportionally increase the value of their own property. Conservatism may be a good thing in the state or in the church, but it is fatal to the growth of cities, and the conservative notions of old fogies make them indifferent to the requirements which a very few years in the future will compel and blind to their own best interests. Such men never look beyond the length of their noses and consider every investment a dead loss unless they can get the sixpence profit into their pockets before they go to bed. My own long training and experience as a manager impelled me to carry into such private enterprises as the purchase of real estate that best and most essential managerial quality of instantly deciding not only whether a venture was worth undertaking but what all things considered that venture would result in 
almost any man can see how a thing will begin but not every man is gifted with the foresight to see how it will end or how with the proper effort it may be made to end in east bridgeport where we had no conservatives to contend with we were only a few years in turning almost tenantless farms into a populous and prosperous city on the other side of the river while the opening of new avenues the planting of shade trees and the building of many houses have afforded me the highest pleasures of my life i confess that not a few of my greatest annoyances have been occasioned by the opposition of those who seemed to be content to simply vegetate through their existence and who looked upon me as a restless reckless innovator because i was trying to remove the moss from everything around them and even from their own eyes in the summer of eighteen sixty seven the health of my wife continuing to decline her physician directed that she should remove nearer to the seashore and as she felt that the care of a large establishment like lindencroft was more than she could bear i sold that place i have already spoken of my building of this residence it was emphatically a labor of love all that taste and money could do was fairly lavished upon lindencroft so that when all was finished it was not only a complete house in all respects but it was a perfect home and a home i meant it to be in every and the best sense of the word for my declining years consequently from basement to attic everything was constructed by day's work in the most perfect manner possible convenience and comfort were first consulted and thereafter with no attempt at ostentation elegance pure and simple predominated and permeated everywhere no first-class house in the metropolis was more replete with all that goes to constitute a complete dwelling-place under this new roof i gathered my library my pictures my souvenirs of travel in other lands and assembled my household gods while the surrounding grounds adorned with statuary and fountains displayed also in the walks the arbors the lawns the garden the piled-up rocks even the profusion of trees and shrubbery and the wealth of rare and beautiful flowers my wife's exquisite taste which in times past had made the grounds of our loved and lost iranistan so celebrated as well as charming it was hard indeed to tear ourselves from this fascinating spot but there are times when even the charms of home must be sacrificed to the claims of health lindencroft was sold july one eighteen sixty seven and we immediately removed for a summer sojourn to a small farmhouse adjoining seaside park during the hot days of the next three months we found the delightful sea breeze so bracing and refreshing that the season passed like a happy dream and we resolved that our future summers should be spent on the very shore of long island sound i did not however perfect my arrangements in time to prepare my own summer residence for the ensuing season and during the hot months of eighteen sixty eight we resided in a new and very pretty house i had just completed on state street in bridgeport and which i subsequently sold as i intended doing when i built it but towards the end of the summer i added by purchase to the mallet farm adjoining seaside park a large and beautiful hickory grove which seemed to be all that was needed to make the site exactly what i desired for a summer residence it will be remembered that i bought this mallet farm not for myself but so that a portion of it could be devoted to the public park and 
a generous slice having been thus given away there were several acres remaining which were admirably adapted to one or more residences and the purchase of the grove property made the location nearly perfect but there was a vast deal to do in grading and preparing the ground in opening new streets and avenues as approaches to the property and in setting out trees near the proposed site of the house so that ground was not broken for the foundation till october i planned a house which should combine the greatest convenience with the highest comfort keeping in mind always that houses are made to live in as well as to look at and to be homes rather than mere residences so the house was made to include abundant room for guests with dressing-rooms and baths to every chamber water from the city throughout the premises gas manufactured on my own ground and that greatest of all comforts a semi-detached kitchen so that the smell as well as the secrets of the cuisine might be confined to its own locality the stables and gardens were located far from the mansion on the opposite side of one of the newly opened avenues so that in the immediate vicinity of the house on either side and before both fronts stretched large lawns broken only by the grove single shade trees rockwork walks flower beds and drives the whole scheme as planned was faithfully carried out in less than eight months the first foundation stone was laid in october eighteen sixty eight and we moved into the completed house in june following in eighteen sixty nine it required a regiment of faithful laborers and mechanics and a very considerable expenditure of money to accomplish so much in so short a space of time those who saw a comparatively barren waste thus suddenly converted to a blooming garden and by the successful transplanting and judicious placing of very large and full-grown forest trees made to seem like a long-settled place considered the creation of my new summer home almost a work of magic but there is no magic when determination and dollars combine to achieve a work when we moved into this new residence we formally christened the place waldemere literally but not so euphoniously waldemere woods by the sea for i preferred to give this native child of my own conception an american name of my own creation on the same estate and fronting the new avenue i opened between my own property and the public park i built at the same time two beautiful cottages one of which is known as the petrel's nest and the other occupied by my eldest daughter mrs thompson and my youngest daughter mrs seeley as a summer residence is called wavewood from the east front of waldemere across the sloping lawn and through the reaches of the grove these cottages are in sight and before the three residences stretches the broad sound with nothing to cut off the view and nothing intervening but the western portion of seaside park seaside and sea breezes however do not include the sum of rural felicities in summer and so i still keep possession of the fine farm which years ago was the scene of the elephant ploughing feats on this property which is in charge of a judicious farmer i have some very fine imported stock including several head of the celebrated white blanket dutch cattle which excite the curiosity and attract the attention of all who see them these cattle are black with a distinctly defined white blanket around their bodies 
giving them a very unique appearance, and when they struck my fancy in Holland some years ago, I imported several of them. Nor is their singular appearance their best recommendation, for they are excellent milkers, and my dairy and farm products keep my table constantly supplied with fresh fruits and vegetables, poultry, and that choicest of country luxuries, pure cream. Amid such comforts, advantages, and luxuries, the summer months speed swiftly and sweetly by. My well-supplied stables afford the means of enjoying the numberless delightful drives which abound in the vicinity, and my salt-water-loving friend, Mr. George A. Wells, is always ready to minister to the pleasure of myself or my guests by tendering the use of anything in his sound fleet, from a rowboat to a yacht. The five months in the year which I devote to rural rest seem all too short for the enjoyment which is necessarily compressed in the twenty weeks, but I can feel at the end of the season that it is a consolidation as well as compression, not only of pleasure, but of capital, in the way of health and vigor for the winter's campaign of city living and metropolitan excitement. For, at my time of life, and especially for a man who has had so much to do with the metropolitan million as I have done, I am convinced that the city is the most congenial residence during the cooler season of the year. No matter how active may have been one's life, as a man grows older, if he does not become a little lazy, he at least learns to crave for comfortable ease and seeks for quiet. To such a man, the city in winter extends numberless pleasures. There is a sense of satisfaction even in the well-cleared sidewalks after a snowstorm and an almost selfish happiness in looking out upon a storm from a well-warmed library or parlor window. One loves to find the morning papers, fresh from the press, lying upon the breakfast table, and the city is the center of attractions in the way of operas, concerts, picture galleries, libraries, the best music, the best preaching, the best of everything in aesthetical enjoyments. Having made up my mind to spend seven months of every year in the city, in the summer of 1867 I purchased the elegant and most eligibly situated mansion, number 438 Fifth Avenue, corner of 39th Street, at the crowning point of Murray Hill in New York, and moved into it in November. My residence therein in the winter season has fully confirmed my impressions in its favor. The house is replete with all that can constitute a pleasant home, and the location is so near to Central Park that we spend hours of every fine day in that great pleasure ground. While I am in town, it is scarcely more than once or twice a week that I take pains to ascertain by personal observation that I am living on the edge of a toiling, excited city of a million inhabitants. My pecuniary interests in Connecticut and in New York occupy my attention sufficiently to keep me from ennui and an extended correspondence for which i do not yet feel the need of a private secretary employs an hour or more of every day i have had letters from new zealand and other remote quarters of the globe respecting curiosities and addressed simply to mr barnum america and the post office officials knowing of no other Barnum who would be likely to receive letters from such out-of-the-way places, regularly put these vaguely addressed letters in my New York box. Yet I suppose that not less than two-thirds of all the letters I receive are earnest petitions for pecuniary aid. 
this begging letter business began to persecute me as long ago as the time of the jenny lind engagement and even before many of these letters ask money as a free gift and some of them demand assistance while others request temporary loans or invite me to furnish the capital for enterprises which are certain to bring the richest returns to all concerned therein when i was traveling with jenny lynn i received a letter from a woman in pittsburgh pennsylvania who informed me that she had named her just-born boy and girl twins p t barnum and jenny lynn coolly adding that we might send five thousand dollars for their immediate wants and make such provision for their future education and support as might be determined upon at the proper time in some of these letters the amusement afforded by the orthography and grammar was almost a compensation for the annoyance and impudence of the requests one very bad speller referring me to a former employer of the letter writer wrote i can refer you to him another urging his petition declared god knows i am poor and not long ago i received a communication from an old man who claimed to be too decrepit to earn a support but he urged that he was a religious man and added i take great pleasure in reading my bible especially the prophets and it did look a little as if he had a sharp eye to the prophets i have said but little in these pages of the immediate circle which is nearest and dearest to me my wife with whom i have lived so many happy years and who has been my support in adversity and my solace in prosperity still survives our children are all daughters carolyn c the eldest was married to mr david w thompson october nineteen eighteen fifty two helen m my second daughter was married to mr samuel h hurd october twenty eighteen fifty seven francis j the third daughter was born may one eighteen forty two and died April 11, 1844. And Pauline T., the fourth daughter, was married on her birthday, March 1, 1866, to Mr. Nathan Seeley. For my eldest daughter, I built and furnished a beautiful house on ground near Iranistan, and she moved into it immediately after her marriage, though of late years she has resided in New York in winter and in Bridgeport in summer. For Helen and Pauline, I bought and furnished handsome houses in Lexington Avenue in New York, within a short distance of my own city residence in Fifth Avenue. A fine young rising generation of my grandchildren is growing up around them and me. I have written as little as might be, too, about my religious principles and profession, because I agree with a man who, in answer to the pressing inquiry, declared that he had no religion to speak of and i believe with him that true religion is more a matter of work than of words when i am in the city i regularly attend the services and preaching of the rev dr e h chapin and i usually go to the meetings of the same denomination in bridgeport he builds too low who builds beneath the skies and i can truly say that i have always felt my entire dependence upon him who is the dispenser of all adversity as well as the giver of all good with a natural proclivity to look upon the bright side of things i am sure that under some of the burdens the jerome entanglement for instance which have borne so heavily upon me i should have been tempted 
as others have been to suicide if i had supposed that my troubles were brought upon me by mere blind chance i knew that i deserved what i received i had placed too much confidence in your money and my own personal efforts i was too much concerned in material prosperity and i felt that the blow was wisely intended for my ultimate benefit a chastening which like the husks to the prodigal son should cause me to come to myself and teach me the lesson that there is something infinitely better than money or position or worldly prosperity in our father's house and i should be ungrateful indeed if on my birthday this fifth of july eighteen sixty nine when i enter upon my sixtieth year in full health and vigor with the possibility of many happy days to come i did not reverently recognize the beneficent hand that has crowned me with so many comforts and surrounded me with so many blessings it is on this day in my own beautiful home of waldemere that i write these concluding lines which record a long and busy career with the sincere hope that my experiences if not my example will benefit my fellow men end of chapter forty seven recording by nancy cochran gergen gilbert arizona